Here we are again on a Wednesday. It is January 17th, and we are in Joshua, and we, we should be in chapter 8 now, if I remember correctly. So we had defeat at Ai, and now we're going to be reading a chapter where it shows that we have victory at Ai. And Ai, just, just so you know, is not artificial intelligence when we're talking about this in the Bible. Maybe, maybe God knew something about AI, and he had to name this city this, just so we would see that he knew what we were going to be dealing with today. Just maybe. So what have, what have we learned about what has happened so far? So let's, let's think about I know we spent a lot of time on Aiken the last couple Wednesdays, and there, there is so much to learn from it. So as we get into chapter 8, uh, let's just think about something for a minute. What got them into trouble at Ai was the sin of Achan. And what did Achan do? He covered up his sin. Remember? He put it in his tent. He covered it up in the earth. He put it, he buried it. Now, we are to learn a lesson from that. Most of us, as human beings, we sin and we try to cover it up. I don't care how deep you try to cover your sin, God's going to find it and uncover it. You can't hide it from God. Right? So, what we learn from this, instead of trying to cover up our sin, we uncover it. And how's that? How do we do that? How do we uncover our sin? By confessing our sin. Opposite of trying to hide it, we confess our sin. So when, what happens when we uncover our sin? God covers it. See the difference? When You're confused. All right. When we cover our sin, God eventually uncovers it and exposes it, right? When we uncover our sin, opposite of covering our sin, when we uncover it, God ends up covering it. Get it now? By the shed blood of Jesus Christ, he covers our sins to where no one can see them. God himself won't even see them. That's the lesson we need to learn from this story of Achan. And confession, not trying to hide things because you can't hide it from God. And you, and you need to go to God. Now, there are certain things we do need to confess amongst each other as church members. We can do that. Um, and, and there's many things that we are supposed to do as far as uh, exposing and asking for forgiveness and those things amongst our fellow people. But it's mainly talking about trying not to hide things from God and exposing it to God. Uh, there's, a, there's a movie. I, I've heard people talk about it, and I can't remember the name of it. But it must have been fairly recent. Have you ever heard, and I say I don't care for rap at all. And, but you've got these guys who will do these rap song type things, and they just rap. And there's like these uh, rapping wars where the one will try to put down the other one. 
and talk bad about him and this, that, and the other. Then the other one gets his chance and he goes back and they go back and forth and then they see who wins the, the little rapping war. Well, this movie, the one rapper evidently was, had, had become a Christian. So he come up against the other one in this big duel. And when he starts to rap, he confesses all of his uh, downfalls and all of his bad points. He confesses all of it in the rap routine that he did. The other guy had nothing. Because he already had, his, his rap was everything the guy had already admitted to. So the point of it was, when you confess your faults, then the enemy has nothing on you. I, I wish I would I didn't have much time this week to research things, but it's, I think it has something to do with eight, like the eighth something. But anyway, anyway not, not that important. Uh, all right, so let's, uh, let's, get, let's continue with, start reading uh, chapter 8. And this is the conquest of Ai. We already know how they got beat. We already, we've already read about how they went up to fight against them and they ran away and, and all that. So now, and then we, we find out why they lost. And it's all been dealt with, right? Achan has been dealt with. The consequences of his sin was brutal. It, it affected more than just him personally. There's another lesson that we learned from that story, that our sin affects others around us. So it's not okay. You do not have an excuse of, it only affects me, but it affects others around you. Within a church, it affects everybody else in the church. In a community, it affects everybody. Nationally, if we have... If we have national sins, or if we curse Israel, we'll be cursed. If we bless them, we'll be blessed. The consequences are there nationally as well when we do things against God. All that's been taken care of, and now they're going back to Ai, and uh, they're going to fight this battle once again. So let's read. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. Now, that's verse 1. So let me read something that uh, out of my Charles Spurgeon Bible. I'm going to read what he said about verse 1. It's something we need to think about. So he's, he's applying this little story here. Notice the difference, and, he'll, and, and, and you'll hear me repeat this, but notice the difference as I read what he said about it so many years ago. But it says, um, all the people. It says, take all the people. What did the spies say at the very beginning when Joshua sent them up to spy out AI before they ever went to the first battle. It was, we don't need to take everybody. Two, three thousand is all we really need. Well, it was a city of 12,000. I don't know if they didn't know that. We know it, or we're going to know it if we keep reading. But here, God's telling them, take everybody. Take all the people. 
take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. Let, this is Charles Spurgeon, let us consider the advice of the spies that led to such a shameful defeat. Let not all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai. That was from uh, back in chapter 7, verse 3. Here we will have to deal with the error of supposing that only a part of the church will be sufficient to perform the work of the whole. Now, don't we all always have a problem with that? Every church that I know of, you have a few who do all the work, right? That a large portion may be idle, and that the rest will be enough to fight the Lord's battles. I feel it to be an error that is practically to be seen in our churches and needs to be met and put to an end. In Joshua's day, this error sprang up because God was displeased with them on account of the sin of Achan. But out of that secret cause, God, because God was displeased with them, they were left to themselves and they adopted a fatal policy. When God is in the midst of a church, he guides its counsels and directs the hearts of the people to go about his work in the wisest manner. All right, so when, when you have just a you have few within a church trying to do everything, that's not God's best plan, and trying to recruit everybody on a, just a human level, trying to force people to do it, doesn't work either. It would actually make things worse. So how do you fix it? You're, the, the, the best way to fix it, it says, he says, when God is in the midst of a church, he guides. The Holy Spirit starts to guide people. You need, you need the whole. See, some people are just naturally going to step up and do things. They're going to participate. They're going to fight the good fight. That's just the way they are. But in every situation, I don't care what it is. I can remember being in a, a, a class, a horticulture class over at Virginia Western many years ago, and we had this big class. And it, the, the class that we took, it was uh, a lot of hands-on stuff where we went outside and we worked in the Arbor, Arboretum or we went over to different places where they had different projects and we actually did the landscaping stuff. And out of all the people in the class, three people was always in it, jumping in and grabbing the tools and starting to do stuff, whether it be putting a plant around, whatever. And I just remember myself and a couple other people in the class would, would, would always be the first to rush in. And our uh, teacher, he would, he would have to stop us and, and try to get some of the other people to get involved with it. But in everything, it's like that. There are certain people who want, that want to get their hands on, and there's so many other people who want to stand around and watch. Or they're too afraid to do anything because they're, they're afraid of ridicule. They're afraid they're not good enough and if they actually do something, people will see it and pick on them. You see that a lot too. So uh, because of that's just natural, you're going to have certain people step up. It doesn't mean that they're led by the Holy Spirit when they do a lot of stuff for the church. It just might be that just the way they are. They have to be working. But we want people to 
be touched inside, motiva- motivated from within, the Holy Spirit move on them so that they'll want to be more involved, whether it be going out and evangelizing or going out and helping people with certain things and, uh, uh, you know, all kinds, of, all kinds of jobs and all kinds of gifts and um, different levels of people with gift, gifts, all kinds of different gifts that people have within a church. And there's people who don't even know they're gifted in a certain area. And, and it takes the Holy Spirit to wake it up. When new Christians come in and they have a born-again experience, a lot of times they don't know what their gifts are, and it takes a while for them to, to, to figure it out. And when they finally figure it out, they, uh, they do really well with it because God's already gifted them. So we want to focus on preaching and teaching and praying for people to get involved in the Lord's work. A lot of what churches do isn't even the Lord's work. Uh, we, but the more we get into the Word, the more we know what the Lord's work really is and what the most important things are. This is back to Charles Spurgeon's little note. But even on the Lord's own people, a measure of judicial blindness may come. We may depend on it that when it becomes a doctrine that only special classes of people are to be expected to work in the church, there is some great wrong in the background. Um, there's also, the, so what he's saying there is there are so those churches who don't want anybody else involved. There's only a certain few that want the power and will even uh, stifle when a young person wants to get involved and maybe teach a Sunday school class or whatever, and I've had it happen to me in the past, where you know, the people within the church uh, saw the potential and the teaching ability, and they encouraged me, but then the higher-ups, you know, the pastors or the, the senior pastor at whatever church, when he was around, he tried to smash me back down, tried to, get, tried to make me nothing. He was intimidated by it. I've seen that happen too. I've seen a lot of unpleasant things in churches. And it's sad that there's that much out there that needs to be corrected. I don't think it's ever going away. All right. So we're moving right along. We've got one verse done. Verse 2. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst. didst. Notice the, the D-I-D, did. We could say, as thou did unto Jericho. But as as I've told you before, the King James Bible has a lot of words like this. Doeth, do, did, and if it was first person, it did would be fine, according to the King James. But when you see the didst with the S-T on there, that's second person. So he's talking to them. He's if, if, it was, if he was talking about somebody that wasn't there, it may be doeth, T-H. Unto Jericho and to her king, only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. 
lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai, and Joshua chose out 30,000 mighty men of valor. They're not, they've learned a lesson. And now they're following God's way. 30,000 is quite a bit bigger force than 3,000, right? And sent them away by night, and he commanded them, saying, Behold, ye, each and every one of those, shall lie in wait against the city, even behind the city. Go not very far from the city, but ye, but be ye already. And I and all the people that are with me will approach unto the city, and it shall come to pass when they come out against us as at the first that we will flee before them. So now it's part of the plan. In the original battle, they had no intention of fleeing, but when they got there and probably way more people came out of that city than they thought, they fled. They just turned around and took off running. All right, so they're going back, and they're going to approach with a similar amount of people that approached before, I think more, but, you know, it's still, they're going to hide their numbers. They're going to have the others hidden going in at, during the night so they, they're not seen, and then they're going to go up like they did before, and when the people come out, they're going to pretend like they're scared, and they're going to turn and flee. So this is part of this battle plan. Now, there have been plenty of battles in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. The Indians even used this trick. Out west, when our cavalry went out and was fighting Indians, and, and uh, you've got you to watch out for these tricky situations. One of the biggest battles in the Revolutionary War that should not have been won by America was a uh, tactic that was, they used this very tactic right here that we're reading about. They probably read it in their Bible, and it became a military tactic for the soldiers in the Revolutionary War. And they used it and won the battle. Verse 6. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they flee before us as at the first. Therefore we will flee before them. Then ye shall arise up from the ambush and seize upon the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it shall be when ye have taken the city that ye shall set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord shall ye do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua therefore sent them forth, and they went to lie in ambush and abode between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. And Joshua rose up early in the morning. Notice how many times you've seen this, that phrase right there. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and numbered the people, and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people, even the people of war that were with him, went up and drew nigh and came before the city and pitched on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between them and Ai. And, and he took about 5,000 men and set them to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. 
And when they had set the people, even all, that, all the host that was on the north of the city and their liars in wait on the west of the city, Joshua went that night in the midst of the valley. And it came to pass when the king of Ai saw it that they hasted and rose up early and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at a time appointed before the plain but he wist not that there were liars in ambush against him behind the cities. They had no clue that it was successful as far as their plan up to this point that the people that were hiding were unseen. And Joshua and all, the, all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them. And they pursued after Joshua and were drawn away from the city. The plan is working. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel, and they left the city open. Don't forget to shut the door. Oh, they left it open. And pursued after Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city, and the ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered into the city, and took it, and hasted and set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that way, and the people that fled to the wilderness turned back upon the pursuers, and when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, then they turned again and slew the men of Ai. And the other issued out of the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they smote them so that they let none of them remain or escape. And the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness there, wherein they chased them, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites, re Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves according unto the word of the Lord which he commanded Joshua. And Joshua burnt Ai and made it an heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. And the king of Ai he hanged on a tree until eventide. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised there on a great heap of stones that remaineth unto this day. Now, so all the way through 29, 1 through 29 is the conquest of Ai. Remember I said before, I feel like Jericho is a representation of the world, and this Ai right here is a representation of the flesh, as far as we have three things that we're battling against. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now the next battle that they come up against is going to be the devil. 
as far as what it represents. It represents the devil. And we'll, when we get into that, hopefully next week, uh, you'll see it. Now, 30 through 35 is, it, it's, 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 a, it's a division here. So the, the battles have been taken care of. They've got victory. They've done everything they were supposed to do. And now we've got this proclamation of the law in verses 30 through 35. So what do you do after this victory? What do you do after a victory? When you have a, a great victory in the Lord. 30. Then Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, pay very close attention to this, an altar of whole stones over which no man hath lift up any iron, and they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Why does it matter? Whole stones. What's, what's the difference? What, what would be the, a different way? And, and notice it says, um, over which no man hath lift up any iron. So you've seen a rock wall. You've seen rocks that have been made into perfect lengths and, and, and widths and heights. So you look at a block wall, and if man worked it, it'll be, all of them will be the same length and same height, so it's real easy to put together. But this is whole stones. You ever seen a wall that's built out of whole stones? There's not a rock the same. Every single rock is different. What this is representing right here, first of all, you must come as you are for salvation, right? If you try to work on yourself to shape the stone into something that's uniform, you see how this is a picture of man trying to do works for salvation? This is way back in Joshua. We're getting a, a, uh, a little lesson right here that you are not to work for your salvation way back here in Joshua. Thirty-two. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. If we are those whole stones that have not been worked on by man, and this offering of this burnt offering and peace offering has been, has been made on, on these stones, that means Jesus has been sacrificed in our place. That's what, that's what we're looking to. And the law of Moses, or God's written word, has been etched into our hearts. It's been, it's been put into our minds and into our hearts. We're, we don't keep the law to be saved, but we keep the law and God's commandments as something we want to obey because God said, do it this way, 
And we've already figured out that if you don't do it his way, there's great consequences to that, bad consequences. If we follow his ways, everything works great, and we have victory. We have victory over the world when we follow God's ways. We have victory over our flesh when we follow God's ways, and we have victory over the devil. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan himself, he was tempted. Every time he was tempted, Jesus said, for it is written. He quoted scripture every single time. If we want to have victory over the devil, our enemy, when he tempts us, we need to know, for it is written. What's in the Bible? What does the Bible tell us? And if that word of God has been written in our minds and in our hearts, we will not fall for the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil. Thirty-three. And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side, the ark, and on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, as well the stranger, as he that was born among them, half of them over against Mount Jerizim, and half of them against Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law. All of it. The blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. That means, that means little tiny kids were in amongst all these people, and Joshua read every bit, every, it says every word, all of it, to all the people. So that would be like me saying, okay, we got a little time. I'm going to read all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Oh, I miss numbers. I'm going to read, I'm going to read all of them. I'm going to read them all, every word of it. And, I, and I'll turn around and I go back to my Bible and I turn back around to start reading and everybody's gone. Where'd they go? If I said, if I said that, Okay, guys, I'm going to read from Genesis. I'm going to read all of Genesis, all 50 chapters, all of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'm going to read them all. How many would want to sit around and wait for all that to be read? Not too many. That's what they did right here. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this lesson tonight, Father. We thank you for this chapter 8 of Joshua. Father, where they had um, conquest. I mean, they, they had victory. After a defeat, Father, you showed them how to get things right. They obeyed your way. And Father, you gave them the victory. They walked in obedience. And Father, we want to be the same. Father, there's been many things that we see as setbacks. Father, we have done things wrong. We have not followed your ways and everything we're supposed to do. And Father, we want to 
um, just ask for forgiveness in those things, whether it be personally or as a church. Father, we want to glorify your Son more and more. Father, we want to teach your ways to everybody that we meet. Father, we want to have your word uh, in our minds and in our hearts so that it would be there at a moment's notice. We can speak it out. We can live it out. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would stand out in this dark world, that we would, we, that we would shine, that we would you know, that our little light will shine in this dark world. Father, we have opportunity to shine bright because of the darkness that is around us. And Father, I just pray that each and every one of us will see the opportunities that are before us and that we will act upon them in a way that would please you and would help somebody come to know you. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.